Evening and welcome to four Wrexham fans in a oh sorry no it is four blades in a pub uh, and we're here uh, to talk about quite an eventful week to be a Sheffield United fan. Uh, I'm John um, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ian. Good evening, Philip. Good evening, Jonathan. Thank you. And Daniel or Dan, we'll just go with Dan. Daniel sounds really serious. Yaki da. <laughs> Yaki da. Well, I've yeah, not got a Sunday we... name you can use either. That's disappointing. No, <laughs> here no we problem. are. Here we are. And um, obviously, lots has gone on at Bramall Lane this week, or depending on how you look at it, nothing's gone on. But um, either way, it's really best, as always, to start with the football. Unfortunately, it just so happens to be that game on Sunday, which personally, if we weren't involved with, I would have thought was absolutely fucking wonderful. However, from a Chef United point of view, I was I thought it was really, really bad performance, really abject. And um I won't say as far as worrying since we're playing on playing on Grace Park, weren't we? But like just a yeah, a poor performance. I don't know why everyone else saw it. I kinda I kinda of, kind of felt it was one of those games we were on a hiding to nothing, no matter what happened. And we almost played into that. Scoring as early as what we did, it's a bit of a football cliche, but sometimes you can score too early. And I think scoring when we did and not building on it gave them the chance to grow in confidence during that first half. And I think Heckingbottom got it right after the game. We just went to shit defending-wise for the first 15 minutes of the second half. And all over the pitch, I thought we were, we were very average, especially keeping hold of the ball, defending simple simple crosses and, and, and throws into the box. But at the end of the day, like you say, it was an amazing cup tie for the for the neutrals and, and we managed to get away with it with something, which was a bonus. Were there any neutrals? Well, true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, like a, I've, I've watched the Wrexham documentary and Ryan Reynolds is a very charming man. So, like, you can see why people get swept away with it. It just, I don't know, it, when you're the other, like, we were watching it, and my better half celebrated when Rex and Scott was like, never fucking do that ever again. Regardless <laughs> of who we played, she was, oh, well, it's, it's brilliant. I was like, it's not. It's really shit. Like, but yeah, it, I think the, 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 I wouldn't blame anyone for finding the sort of pomp around Wrexham quite irritating. I think quite a lot are starting to, aren't they? You're yeah. seeing quite a lot of. Uh non Wrexham or non Chef United fans coming out on Twitter saying this is bollocks sort of thing. It's not a great story. They're paying at least League One, maybe Championship wages for players that shouldn't be in that league. It, it, there is it's an element of financial doping at that level. Um, yeah, it is. But, but fair, you know, I'll give them the due. Having watched the documentary, they're doing the right thing with the community and the engagement with the fans in some ways. They're acting in the way you'd want a football club's owners to behave if they're at your club in 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 many ways. But it, I think what we found first and Sunday was when you're up against it and you are the bigger club in that kind of in a cup scenario or throw that into the mix. You know, it was it was painful viewing both on the pitch and the coverage in and around the game anyway. Um I thought, I thought on the pitch, I think we're a team that can carry one or two individually bad performances. But when that goes to three, four, five, and fundamentally, that's two or three of your defenders, your goalkeeper. Um, we, we can't carry that, even against a team at that level. And um, it, was, it, was, it, it, worries, it worries me. I'll tell you why it worries me a little bit, in that Basham was covering left centre-back. Never again. But, Absolutely but, never again. Never but, again but, after 10 minutes, though, because like it could look completely uncomfortable from the off there. And I know Robinson, we need it. He's basically the only player we've got to play there, really, because uh, of Clark's injury. But I don't know. It, sure it, it, worries, it worries me Clark's out for a longer period than we, we think, because to give Basham game time specifically in that position. And I know you don't want to risk an injury to Robinson. There's a reason for doing that. But, yeah, that that 
I don't, I don't think it will help Bashan. I think Ben Osborne outside him and the keeper behind him that couldn't catch anything. He was punching everything that came anywhere near him. It was just like you say, but then it, it, it spread across the defence and El had a terrible game as well. You yeah. can see, looking at him, looking at a player like Anel who's so comfortable on the ball, you could see how much the pitch affected his game. He just he, he couldn't get the ball under control. He was trying to come out with it and the ball's sitting up and bouncing all over the place and Second touches, yeah. Just, I get the, you know, I get that's that's their strength. They play long ball football. They don't want a, they don't want to play on a bowling green because that plays into hands. So you can't kind of take that away from them. But really, really didn't help us in the slightest. I don't think we can adjust our game to that. I don't think we've got it in us to adjust our game to play that kind of route one type football. But don't we train on a pitch like that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably worse, um, if 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 not if not just on like a concrete uh, park. Who knows? But no, in all seriousness, like in, there was a lot of bad performances in there. It was particularly at the start of the second half. The midfield was largely anonymous, not wanting like, but people just looked like they didn't want the ball, and that like I think. You could level lots of criticism at people like Osborne normally, but you would never, you'd never accuse him of hiding. And I know there's an argument for <clears throat> for the third goal that Egan has a Egan has a bit of a does a bit walkies, but like Egan pretty much single-handedly kept them at bay because if, if he'd not been playing and we'd had somebody else in the middle of the back three, I think it could have been really embarrassing. And, and Jai doesn't follow his man either for the third goal. Well, well, he, does, he, he does actually, follows him to the edge of the box and then and leaves him for the last five yards. But I was going to make that point. You say Egan had a bit of a brain fart going towards the ball like he did and leaving the, leaving the middle of the area exposed. Why was Njai the one following the last man? Because none of the midfield were doing anything. That's what I mean. Yeah, Njai didn't follow, follow his runner, but it shouldn't have been his man, surely. He shouldn't be tracking Mullin. Well, he's, he's, he's he thought he could have had a... Well, he'd, he, he'd done the thingy, though, hadn't he? He'd, he'd sort of turned into trouble, which started that move, I think, uh, further up the pitch. So he yeah, he chased, it. he chased back for that. I, get, I, don't, I, I understand that, but he ran past two or three of his teammates to get there, and he shouldn't be. No. They, but, like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't have been surprised that, like, none of us were able to go, but everyone said that, like, behind the goal where they were attacking second half was like really hostile, amazing atmosphere. So I don't know if they I don't know, some people people shrunk. You don't know. I mean, Norwood obviously takes his goal very well, doesn't he? But it was it wasn't one of his better games, but on a pitch like that, that's not a surprise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's just not geared up that, that pitch again was just not geared up for him, was it? I thought, do it, thought do he had a rough first half and then he, he faded second half. Um but, but most of our good play first half came through having the ball up to McBurney and Jemison playing off each other. And I thought for 45 minutes, they played really well. But interestingly, again, they were obviously planned subs around the hour mark, weren't they? Mm. The, and it changed. And that took, and, and I know we we, it, uh, we conceded then, and but it, it did take some of our impetus away for a bit. That kind of classic thing where you say at half-time, 1-0... The next goal has a, I know it's a cliche, but the next goal has a massive impact. If we get the second goal, that pretty much puts the puts the tie to bed. They get the they get the goal and they're right back in it. And it's just we we just got the first fifteen minutes of the second half as wrong as we possibly could have done. We let them get back into it. We let them get a build up ahead of steam. Their players were were, were kind of geeing the crowd up. The crowd were responding. We couldn't do it. We couldn't. Couldn't do anything. We, we we couldn't clear our lines. We couldn't run with the ball. We couldn't carry the ball. We couldn't find a you know a United player with a pass. If there's you know if there was a kind of showcase of how to get a, a game completely wrong, that first fifteen minutes of the second half was absolutely it. You got to, but like, if we're going to pick up some other positives, I think Jebison looked really very capable, and I thought McBurney. We've missed just having a bastard up front. And it probably highlights how, like, 
limp we've been in that area without him in terms of like having sharp having to do maybe some of that physical stuff which isn't really his game and then you see someone like paul mullen and i said it in the group chat the way mullen played was what sharp used to do about five years ago when he could like break the lines and and just be a real pain and um yeah but it, overall we've gotten back to Bramall lane i don't know how and you'd like to think we could could turn them over a bit more comfortably. You'd think so. Dan Dan nailed it just now when he said the fact that they respond, the crowd lifted them and they lifted the the crowd and they both responded to each other. They're not going to get that in the same way at Bramall Lane. Yeah, they've got going to have a big following, but it's not going to be as intimidating to us as what it was there. So I, I think we'll have too much for them. I really do. Do we assume we're not appealing Jebo's red card since we've not heard anything yet or... We, there is footage where he does kick out, so I guess by the letter probably, of the law. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get away with it then, would we? I had to pinch myself. found myself agreeing with something Mark Hughes said. Oh, and he called the referee busy. Well, he just was like, just trying to name, make a name for himself because he's on TV showing off, basically, didn't he? And I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. And you tweeted that on Sunday night, Phil. You were like, there's no way that happens if that's just a... A national league game or a championship game. Not in a I don't think I've game. ever seen it. I don't think I've ever seen that in football. A fourth official actually going out, getting the referee to come over and say, "I've seen this." I didn't even. Just fucking grass if you do that. So I, I really, really, really. You would have thought it would have happened more, wouldn't you? you would yeah. Have, if he's going to do that, you would have thought it would have happened more. Well, they never, the they never bound s- to see bits and bobs, isn't it? And, and let's be honest, yes, it's a kick, but it's so slight and so innocuous. If a fourth official seeing that and calling the referee over, there'd be no players on the pitch at the end of every game. Yeah. It happens a lot. VAR wouldn't have got involved because he didn't get good enough footage to get involved. No. That, that says something. It, you know? it's, it, it's, it's really, it, I don't know, be, be interesting, won't it, if it actually does start a bit of a trend? Um. I mean, it won't be like it because they tend to have these sort of like new directives at the start of the season, don't they? For, and we yeah, well, yeah. see like the World Cup with the injury time. They did actually say that in August that that was going to be what they do. But obviously, when it's a World Cup, they crank it up to bloody eleven. Because <laughs> they're yeah, sort well, of, obviously, if we don't appeal it, then obviously that's him out for three games I imagine the Steelers the Steelers back in the picture I guess but Steelers um, got a broken jaw they? broke his jaw didn't I oh yeah I did, did see that actually great if the Steelers had been there um, but the, the other um, John John oh, John's got activity in the bay room <laughs> I was about to say, John, John pointing out that United have, have been a first for something again. We'll have to stick it on the honours board. Just to appease the Wednesday fans. What are we on the honours board for? For the first time a fourth official's got involved in a sending off. It was like a first, you know. I guess, I guess, going, like you say, going to a replay, we've got to go into it more positive, but equally, without jumping ahead, is it worth just touching on that Rotherham game Saturday? Because obviously we've got to bounce back in a local derby from a performance like that. And I think, was it Rotherham's had seven players in in January? Yeah, which doesn't doesn't always work in their favour for the first game. No. So they could be a bit disjointed, depending on how many of them. I mean, and we'll we'll probably come on and talk about him a bit more, well, we will in a bit, but Berger's more likely to start on, on Saturday. And Jai come straight back in, I would imagine. And Jai will start, especially with McAtee potentially being out. Yeah. So I think we'll have a little bit more of our balanced team out. There's no way Basham's going to play left centre half. There's no way Ben Osborne's going to start at left back. There's no way West Fodrenham's not going to start. Yeah. So I think Rotherham are going to Rotherham are going to be very similar to the way of Bramall Lane. They're really well organised, but whether losing losing their captain is probably a big thing for them. Yeah. It's Mm. Yeah. All right, where, where's Bob? Where, where's he ended up? Middlesbrough. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. They're having a bit of a go, Middlesbrough, aren't they? Um, 
they've got the lesser fancied Ramsey on loan as well from Villa. Um, what the one that was at Norwich, or his brother? The one that was at Norwich, I think, not the one that people talked about for England. Aaron Ram. Uh, Aaron, yeah. yeah, not the not the one who kills people. The one who. From <laughs> Yeah, so Aaron Ramsey was on loan at Norwich, weren't he? I think that there is brothers, though. I think there's two of them. Yeah, yeah, the, um, yeah, like the Murphy brothers from Norwich. Uh, but like the for those of you, everyone knows the Aaron like some sort of TV program about oh, country the children's book series. <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows the story about Aaron Ramsey, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm just yeah, the time he scores. Yes, it's a celebrity dies. I've not. I was thinking. I've forgotten that for about a minute then, and then it struck me because I was worried we we're going to have to put some sort of apology or disclaimer on the end of the pod. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I remembered. He's in Nice, isn't he? So uh, I'm sure the local authorities have got him. Got us, like watching him securely, but like, oh, sorry, I just had to run upstairs, stop somebody crying. But like, in all seriousness. Rotherham, Rotherham is an opportunity just to to put Sunday behind us before we play him again, isn't it? And I, are we going to do this where we talk about Rotherham a bit more and do a prediction and then just get into the nonsense? Yeah, let's get the football out of the way first. And <laughs> yeah. Let's get shit. the actual proper stuff out of the way. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, with Rotherham, like Phil, I walked back downstairs and you were saying they're going to be very well organised. Uh, but I, I would expect us to win on Saturday. I think the players will be quite fired up, actually, after Sunday. And, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see us. been hoping for a while, but I'd like a convincing performance and a win. I mean, so, so would I. I think you might. I think you, I think we'll get a win. I'm not sure we'll get the convincing performance. I, I can see another, another kind of sneaky 2-1 win tight one and a 2-1 win. You don't often get local derbies where it's free-flowing and, and high-scoring, as in one team battering yeah. the other one, do you? Yeah. But, I, mean, yeah, I, I can see it. I, I fancy it's for a 2-1 win. I think one all. I think I, I, I just think they'll have enough fight about them at home. And they've been getting you know, one or two good results. On the yeah. I'm going to be a little bit negative. I think we'll lose Saturday. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I thought I would be negative in a 2 1 win. We've got 2 1 win, draw, defeat. John? I think we'll win. Uh, Administration? 3 1. 3 1. Interesting, though, because you were just like we were just saying before, they could be quite disjointed with all the changes, depending on how many of those players get introduced. So, are you thinking that's just them being that bit more up for it? No, well, I think there's a bit of that. I think I don't think that all of these players that they're bringing in will start. Obviously, they're going to have to replace Barlaz or however you pronounce it in in the starting eleven. But I, we've been talking quite a, for quite a while on here that we've not been performing particularly well, and we've almost been getting away with it. And I understand that we're winning games of football, so enjoy it while we're winning. But we can't keep doing that forever. And I think in the derby in the the blood and thunder of that kind of game, it might catch us out. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And I, I think if we lose, it'll be very tight. It might be 1-0, 2-1. But um, hopefully hopefully, I've got that wildly wrong and we go and stuff them. But we'll see. I hope your prediction street ends at 1, then. <laughs> it's already ended, hasn't it? I didn't predict 3-3 three, three Saturday. It's only... Yeah, yeah. forgot we'd all been too optimistic about Saturday. It's Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I fancy, when, when we scored after whatever it were, 90 seconds, I, my 4 0 were, uh, I, I were bang on for my 4 0, and then very quickly all went to shit. <laughs> What's, what I'm re- one big thing about Sunday going into this next run of games is McBurney scoring within a minute of coming back from a start just puts to bed. Do you know, if he had like a quiet couple of games in the league now. He just he puts to oh he's something's up with him again and that and because I, I think if we are to go up and I do still think we will particularly with what we're going to talk about next happening yesterday I I think McBurney's going to be really important in that running he, he needs to stay fit 
that that that's the key thing. He's probably the most key player for us for the for the second half of the season because he's he's the one we don't really have anything behind, do we? No, and we, and we need no depth behind him at, at all. And in some of the more challenging games, particularly we've got at home, we're going to need him in both boxes. Um, like, like when, anyway, yeah. So, enough about that fucking football nonsense, lads. We've let's got, get on to the real nonsense. Let's get put your yellow tie on, phone Natalie Sawyer up. Get Paul Merson in to talk about players he's never seen play football for three hours and ask him about all these players and whether he thinks they're a good idea or not. Would, would, he back the, would he back that club to go up was one of the questions he got asked yesterday. I can't remember which club it was. Do you, do you back them to finish top three? I don't think Paul Merson recovering gambling addicts going to be back in anything. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Ramsey, Paul Merson, we are sorry. <laughs> On Four Blades in a Pub, we do take murder and addiction seriously. Uh, <laughs> murder. <laughs> murder. <laughs> but, um, he was, so yesterday was weird. Um, pretty much with expected, slightly disappointed when the news broke about Berg on Sunday. Then that, for me, was replaced by not apathy, but a bit of a shrug when I found out he was staying. And for me, everything that surrounds it, a transfer embargo, and the way we seem to be like as an outward facing football club to our supporters at the minute, is just I'm finding like quite frustrating. Um I obviously hand on heart, delighted we've got Sander Bird till the end of the season, although he's not been playing well recently, maybe. Now, this will mean that he stays. And the fact that he said that he wants to stay, apparently, is fantastic. Uh, but, I don't know. How do you three see it? Because I just... It doesn't seem... Something about all this just doesn't sit sit right with me. It just doesn't seem great still. I'll, I'll go first, because I think I've got a different opinion to the rest of you three about the burger deal. I, I was relatively comfortable with... The fact that we were potentially selling Berger for the amount that had been rumoured, 20-plus add-ons, based on his form, based on the three years since he's been here and how he's not really delivered to his transfer fee, and the fact it would get us out of this self-inflicted mess that we seem to be in at the minute and potentially give us a chance to freshen the squad up a little bit. I was relatively comfortable with it, but that said... I'm also quite happy he's there to, for the rest of the season and the squad's not been disrupted and, and we can kind of move on and put January behind us. I think that the frustration, and, and this isn't just for me, I think I do speak for all of us, is that the, the silence is deafening coming out of the club. And the fact that you're seeing other people on social media having to act as unofficial spokesmen for the club it just doesn't feel right. And I, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know why the, there's so much silence coming out from within. It's just, it's what's winding fans up as much as or more than anything else. And, and that's not a criticism of the spokesman. It's a criticism of the fact that he's, he's in that position to make that, com- I mean, to make that comment because no other bugger is. 100%. And, and, and listen, we can probably all guess who, who, who we're referring to there. And, without naming names, I think it's not fair on them to have fans asking them what's going on because realistically it should be coming out of the club. The other person that's having to be a spokesman for club matters now is the manager. And Dan, you said yesterday in, in our group chat that he sounds more and more tetchy. That tetchiness might be coming from the fact that he's the one having to field these questions and he shouldn't have to be. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. If, if we get promoted... This achievement by Heckingbottom with everything that's going on is ex- is equal to what we when we went up with Wilder on the basis of having to deal with this bullshit. Now, people might say, oh, well, Wilder had this, that, and the other going off in the background. It's going off in the background, and the fans aren't aware of it. You don't have to feel any questions about it. You don't have to 
deal with the public. You don't have to basically go into every press conference like Groundhog Day. What's would you have liked to bring someone in? What's happening with the embargo? What's happening with the takeover? Why did you have to do this, that, and the other? Are you disappointed to not get the money back that you've saved on Cadra? There's another loan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he has to deal with that every single week, and he does whilst trying to talk about football. And it's and the results there are, are, are great. And obviously, like Bergen and Jai will have been affected by what you read in the papers or what you what apparently is meant they've meant to be craving themselves so if you believe but there, there were no bids for either of them were there? there were no official bids made for either of them by all it's come out today that everton had 25 million rejected for enjoy that's what's and, come out and fulham fulham uh fulham were in, were interested in talking to burger and his agent and the club but they're Offer fell short of our valuation, which kind of get, goes against the message that the, I think Andy Giddings tweeted yesterday. The Prince Abdullah says he's not entertaining any bids for players. Well, you clearly are entertaining bids, they're just not the bids at the level you want. And, and that brings back to the point about communication for me. In that it, it keeps fronting a lot of stuff. When, when he, when we had the, was it the Jan Syracuse press conference and he was talking about who's going to be fronting what, and, and Hecky fronts only football matters. He's fronting more than football matters at the minute. He's fronting everything else that's going off off the pitch because everyone's silent. And then when you do get things coming through, it's contradictory. And and that bothers me. I Well, I understand that the club borrowed money and forward borrowed with pay, the equivalent of a, a football club payday loan against future parachute payments. We've done that for the last two years. Kieran Maguire said that tonight, hasn't he? Yeah. And we've we've extended it for another 12 months. And that is probably the way agreed between current owner and potential owner of getting us out of this embargo. But what that means is we've advanced it from a cash flow perspective. But when that money lands, all that does is pay off the loan and we'll have a bunch of interest at, you know, at payday loan, like the equivalent of payday loan interest rates to pay on that money that's been advanced. Now, hopefully, I guess the gamble is we'll be in the Premier League. There'll be more than money than a parachute payment would be. And and we're in a better position. But it's sorted out the problem for now. But And every club does it to an... Well, a lot of... That's every club. A lot of championship clubs do that to a certain extent when they've come down. But how long do you keep borrowing in advance? So we're borrowing over 12 months and 15 months in advance now. It, as well, like... Like, the warning sign as well, if you just, like... I don't want to sound like for years like Everton fans used to go, where's the Arteta money gone? Like I'm not like getting into that, but like if you think about the finances about how we've been ran since we came down, you know, we found the money in the summer for a for a center half, etc. But we've not been spending massively. So like, you know, these embargoes and stuff hit usually like clubs when the parachute payments have gone, who's still like pushing it like where like very few clubs managed to do it without getting in any financial implications. Obviously, like Norwich with their Christine model of being one of the best 26 clubs in the country is a prime example. They don't seem to like have these financial problems as a constant. But we're not we've there hasn't been like this outlay. So all this sort of this way of living is unsustainable. But there, has been, there has been an outlay. The, the fact that we've kept the players we've kept and the wages that they're on, we we probably needed to sell Burger in the summer. We ultimately, absolutely, I need to sell Burger. But because if you think about it, we're probably carrying players still on anywhere between. I reckon our, I haven't seen the latest account, but our wage bill has got to be north of thirty million quid. Oh, but like what I'm trying to say is. It's it's not a long. I'm just a long-winded way of agreeing with you, Ian. We not, did have we did have not, two seasons. Not, in the it's Premier not League. It's not a it's not a sustainable approach, is it? We did have two seasons in the Premier League, and obviously parachute payments. That shouldn't we shouldn't be in a position after all that to be in a transfer embargo for not paying plus the freestyle money. Yeah. But bear in mind, at the start of this season, we owed 30, I think it was on Price of Football Pod last week, we owed 36, 37 million pounds of transfer fees still. 
in these stage payments. The, the problem we've got, we probably, yeah, we aren't covering our costs, but equally, it's cash flow. And that's why we're advancing all this money. It's cash that's the, as, as bigger problems, you know. You see, I, I, I think this last, whatever it's been, two weeks of just carnage since we since we got announced, since it got announced that we were under an embargo. To me, it's just all been spin, PR, and a masterclass in lowering expectations. We've we've gone into the transfer window. Heckingbottom's agreed. Kadra can go back and openly said, "I'm only going to send him back if I can, you know, bring bring a replacement." So then suddenly it's announced that we're under an embargo because it's money. Then the couple of local journalists talk about how we're willing to trade with our players and there's the threat of selling Berger and Jai. All the while, there's the takeover going on in the background. And then at the last minute, oh well, we've decided not to. We've decided not to sell the. We've decided not to sell these two players. The money's been found for the embargo, but it's too late to bring anyone else in. So we're still coming out of this window weaker than we went into it. We've not actually signed anyone. But we're all we're all supposed to. People are, I've seen people saying, you know, that's brilliant. What a good job the prince has done. Not he's he's kind of saber rattled a bit. I, I I honestly don't think. Bearing in mind he's in the process of selling the club. So let's say that he's valued the club at let's say just for a nice round figure, hundred million. That's the agreed price that he's selling the club at. If he then decides to sell Burger or Engine, he doesn't pocket the money for it. If he sells Burger for twenty million and we pay $5 million to whoever it is for the transfer uh, embargo, he doesn't then pocket that $15 million, yet the prospective owner is going to want to take at least a large percentage of that $20 million off the value of the club, because that was obviously, the club is worth significantly less than when he was going to buy it. So I think the threat of selling them was always, I think it was always an empty threat. I think it was just to make things look worse than it, worse than it was. So when... Well, we're not selling them and we're out of the embargo. Everyone goes, oh, brilliant. Prince has done great. That's my own opinion. I've got nothing, no no facts to back that. It's just my opinion that it's all been done as a PR move and, and, and spin and to just to make everyone, keep everyone happy that we've not sold anyone and maybe they'll forget that we've not signed anyone. We're actually coming out this window weaker than we went in. I am quite surprised how there's been a bit of a, an upturn in praise for the prince today because you don't come out of this very well no this last couple of weeks at all yeah we've not sold anybody but and okay he could have sold players but ultimately he would have sold an asset that like you say would have come off the value of the club that he'd, that he'd agreed with somebody so he it really surprised me how much people have been praising him today because if anything i think this has made him look far far worse than he did prior to this month the reason people are praising him is because the, the 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 mood on social media got ramped up so much and people were talking about Dean and Fjortoff Day and, oh, my God, it's transfer deadline day. We're going to sell Burger and Jai. It's, it's basically it's the same as the fuel companies did last year. So they, they ramp your petrol price up to unprecedented levels and everyone goes, fucking hell, this is unsustainable. We can't pay this. So they go, yeah, all right, fair enough. We'll bring it back down. They bring it back down and everyone goes, oh, brilliant. they've lowered the price completely missing the fact that they've lowered the price to more than you were paying in the first place. But you're supposed to be grateful for them lowering it. Basically, they shit on your head and you say thanks for the hat. And that's kind of what... I get that. I get that, but that's really fucking obvious. You would think. But, like, but then it's... Your garden variety football supporter... He's just happy that their best players are still at the club. If you're a if you if you're a bit more than that, so probably somebody who listens to this podcast or somebody who like is of an age or a critical sort of thought process to look at someone, well, that fucking stinks. Like I don't like the way that's gone, or that something about that doesn't sit right with me. You can see it, and it is obvious, but. If you think about the fact that somebody like the way that like football now is sort of consumed by so many, you go on Twitter, Jebison plays for United on television on 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 um, Sunday. 
And on Monday, there's some bogus like account, like the offside rule or something says, I'll be like looking at uh, Daniel Jefferson. And you get the replies there. And it's not like, well, a load of shit. What's this account? It's about 10, 15 United fans going, this, what's happening at the club? But then obviously the players stay and then all of a sudden everything's well, when really the problem of the fact that we've just fell into a transfer embargo, there's no direct communication from anybody at the club. There's no official statement. Like this will be announced that we, if they paid this money like this week in a really unusual way, or maybe they'll get that fella back to come and sit there and say he knows nothing about football, but it's all sorted. That like... That's the thing. The thing is, yeah, average you, person doesn't. It was like, oh, we've kept the best players, which we have, but at what cost? The thing is, in any situation, football, whatever, if you propagate the idea that the worst could happen, and then something slightly better than the worst happens, you you automatically think that's a bonus. There's no guarantee the worst was ever going to happen. But if you put that mindset, if you get people into that mindset where they assume the worst is going to happen and it doesn't, then everyone thinks, well, that's great, that's a bonus. It doesn't mean you're any better off than you were in the first place. It's just you've been conditioned to that mindset. And I know I sound a bit, I sound oh. a bit fucking um, conspiratorial here, but that's just, I don't know, it's, like I say, it's just a, it just seems a coincidence that at the time we were in an embargo, Jebbiton's been linked with no one for months. When he first came on the scene, there were clubs looking at him, went to Burton, nothing. Suddenly... We're in a transfer embargo. We're coming towards the end of the transfer window. There's three or four top German clubs looking at him. And it's just, you sow that seed that, well, Jebison could go and Jai could go, Berger could go, and everyone panics. The sky's falling. It doesn't. And everyone goes, oh, brilliant. We've had a great window. Have we? I don't think we have had a, I don't think we have had a good window. It's the first wi- window where we've not brought anyone in since when? <laughs> Just just to counter, we could have quite easily lost Njai and Berger this, this January. Quite easily, because they're both players that are sought after. So in that respect, yes, we have had a decent window. The fact that we go into February weaker than we went into January is just very galling. I think I think that's I think that's fair enough, Phil. But I think I think there's something very true about what Dan's saying though. No, I agree. I, I, I'm just trying to counter the point that we could have. And I think the thing that is winding me up the most about it is it's just people give people we're given snippets of information that we have to take as gospel, and as a result, like if there was a bit of yeah, you know, it just takes somebody at the club to say, listen. There's been we're in a bit of a sticky situation because, and everyone would agree with this, the January of the first year in the Premiership, we spent money that this club has never spent before, and before that, in the in the summer, we spent money that this club has never spent before, and we've continually tried to input, and we've made mistakes, and we've learned from it, and this is just a product of that spending, and over, and we've learned from it, etc. That just contextualizes everything. But if you could then, another way to spin it, Phil, if you're trying to be positive, oh, this was just a game to get people to think they could bid low so that we could keep the players, etc. You could even like construct that as a narrative of what's gone on that, oh, if we say we're an embargo, people are underbid and we know what their value is. So then nobody will meet them. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just there's loads and loads of conspiracy theories going around, and it makes me laugh some of them. I mean, there's a there's quite a strong conspiracy that there is no takeover. There's a load of bullshit, which I guess we could discuss whether we think there is actually a takeover going on, but... Well, I, I, I think there is. I do. There is paid... That whoever this group, he might be a woman... Whoever this group is have paid a fee, haven't they? And that's non non refundable if you pay if you pay the fee to go through the process. Whereas that like fictional character before that was made up, who still hasn't accepted my LinkedIn request. What a fucking prick! But like, I think that's my understanding is they they, they paid a deposit, haven't they, to get exclusivity rights? It's an exclusivity deposit, isn't it? Yeah. 
I'll make a couple of points on that then. So one is, if you're a buying club and you, sorry, you're the selling club, let's get right. If you're a selling club and let's say, you know, in the next few months, regardless of the takeover, you, we're interested in buying a player. And, it, you know, it, we only spent, what, uh, four or five million on Anadolic, Ahmed Odzic, sorry. Um, but if, if you've got United bidding for a player, what, what are you going to do to the terms of, of payment? You're going to you're going to bring it more up front. You're going to make it more challenging for us to buy a player because you'd be worried about when you'll get paid. And the fact that the incoming owner must agree to what we've seen today on Cummings House, which is, like I say, the extension of that advancement against the future parachute payments, that must have their agreement. So we're leveraged up to the nines. Maybe that doesn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence about who's coming in, unless they're going to come in and wipe some of that out. That, yeah, that's the other thing. If it's going to come in and that's a drop in the ocean to them, and the the a multi 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 billionaire and whatever yeah. we've pulled forward is is chicken feed, then yeah. great. And one other thought, just on strengthening, there was a, a tweet shared yesterday which said three years ago on this day, and we signed Zivkovic and Retsos on loan with a view to purchase. Since then, and I look this up, they made 43 appearances between them. They've each played for three clubs apiece in the meantime, in six different countries. And Retsos, I think, was rated at nine, ten million when we were going to potentially buy him. Yeah. For a free transfer. The best thing about Retsos that never came to pass was the uh, song that Blade Man Dave came up with that was like, Thanos... Thanos, to the Pink Panther tune. Funny enough, never took off, never on the pitch. He, but then that says to me that we were we got those players in, and this is maybe what you're alluding to. Some you get these sort of like career footballers who their agents just pass them around like like, like a pack of fags outside. Use cigarettes to be passed around at a party rather than something a bit more illicit. Like you know what I mean? It's you know, everyone can have one. Oh, do you want? Oh, I've got, I've got this centre half. Sort of, look, they, they think of the sort of players Harry Redknapp used to fill the squad with at Portsmouth and West Ham and stuff. And people are like, who's that? I don't know how he brought him in. And I guess, and I guess that's it. You know, and I agree with Dan. You know, I, we, the fact we've, if we'd have sold Berger, would we have got some of those loans in that you wanted? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a hypothetical question now. But you know, we 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 would have ended up weaker. And, but equally, you can add players who give you nothing. And it's a gamble. I mean, like I say, Rotherham, seven players lose the captain, and but bringing in seven. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, no guarantee. Yeah, we could have signed, we could have signed half a dozen players, and there's no guarantee that they're going to turn you into a better side. Yeah, 100% it's a gamble. I mean, out of the players we were linked with, O'Brien would have been a nice little addition, but not a direct Berg replacement at the same time. So. Mm. I don't know. I, I I hope next time we get together and talk, the sort of that we're not in a transfer embargo, and well, and, and, and there's just a bit more clarity. And I I don't know. Maybe all clubs that go through a takeover go through this. I, it's funny we're playing Rotherham actually on Saturday because it was under Weir when we had Rotherham away. That were, I think the Prince bought us that week and they were nothing and it yeah. just happened because people were wearing sort of various slightly racially, racially charged costumes that rolled them away. So we wore that awful yellow, white, yellow kit with the green and white collar that Fabian Brandy and Tony McMahon modelled uh, in that, in that pre season. And yeah. The team of Baxter, Cavellier, etc., failed to gel on that afternoon at Rotherham, I think, with the Prince and McCabe there. If only McCabe knew what he was letting himself in for, eh? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. It, uh, very much so. But, like, I don't know. Is there anything more to really say on it apart from that? Do we feel that what would be the sort of I say we, we speak in a week's time? What's the ideal scenario? A week from now, well, not, not a lot's going to change other than the two games that we're playing, is it? 
No, well, I don't... Three points and through to the next round of club. Yeah, that would be the ideal scenario. Well, I think there's every chance that happens. But for me, what is, what's the ideal scenario in terms of, like, um, the off-field stuff? I think the, the, the Prince has shown he's, he can't... He hasn't got the finances to to keep the club afloat long-term. Even now, getting us out of the, the, the situation we're in, he's borrowing off the club's future earnings to pay it off. Just a quick one on that. I saw it said that he's put fifty million in this season. Now, I'm. I guess my question on that is, we'll never really know because I guess we won't see the final accounts because the club will be transferred and it won't be that visible. But my question would be: Has he really put personal money in, or is it, as we're seeing with this, an advancement of parachute money? Fifty sorry, million. Sorry to interject. Five zero. But it's a valid, valid point on that, really. Because you know, I didn't think it was worth. I thought. I thought it was only worth. Hundred and something. Yeah, hundred and something million. I'd be, I'd be amazed if he's put fifty million in, but he's only worth. I mean, only. Um, he's only worth just, you know, just over a hundred million. Oh, Michael's fucking eye fire. Yeah, like fucking Rockefeller. <laughs> but in context, it's half his wealth potentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but equally, if he's put it in and turns hundred million on the club, he's not. You know, he's got a fifty percent increase in his wealth. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Back to your original point, John, I think the, the ideal situation is we're bought by someone who's got the financial clout to run the club properly, but isn't a fucking megalomaniac, basically. Yeah, the, we've, 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 we've joked about owners, haven't we, before. We, I don't know. There's that rumour of the... Uh, is it the Israeli businessman, Ian, who's got strong links to the... Tur- is he Turkish? Part? Turkish, Turkish. Sorry, I'd like to be honest. I'd like someone to come in who can. You don't have to be multi, multi, multi billionaire, but someone who can put a proper infrastructure in place. Because there's there's models going on at the minute that show how it can be done. Like Brentford, Brighton, get the infrastructure of the club right, get your scouting network right, get a consistency, get a get consistency with your coaches, director of football, so you've got consistency of playing style. Well, these that, are, um, the guys, that's what we need to do. I didn't realise until I was doing a bit of reading. So remember Les Reed, who was involved at Southampton of the sort of Bale, Walcott, McGoldrick. He's a yeah, he Charlton manager for a while, weren't he? He's at Wrexham. They've they've employed him to do all their sort of infrastructure, which is quite interesting. But yeah, yeah. I agree, Dan. I would I would happily become a sort of. Brighton, Brentford, because I, like some of the players that are coming through, I mean Brighton have got a bloody World Cup winner in the midfield, crazy. And I don't think there's a more exciting player in arguably in world football to watch than Matoma at the minute. Matoma, Trossard, Caicedo, probably pick two or three others, are all cost them less than we paid for McBurney or Brewster. Yeah. And it's about having again. It's it's about having the terms case. Also, with scouting and and a, a place for these players to 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 flourish and having them though as alongside sort of like players that just sit there and perform season after season, and don't move on. Uh, so like uh, at Brighton, like that Grob has been there for ages. Dunk's been there for ages. <laughs> so, like you get you you get your spiny team, and then you can. Like, obviously, Trossard, I remember when we played Brighton away in the Premier League, absolute dog shit. I mean, there were flashes, but he did nothing in the game. But then now he's just... And, and he pays for themselves. Yeah, and that'd be that'd be the ideal. That Arsenal, Trossard. Yeah. He's gone to Arsenal, yeah. Yeah, he's gone to Arsenal, yeah. And they tried Kai... And, and the Brighton manager as well is fantastic. He, like, as soon as Trossard started being a dick, he was like, all right, off you go then. And then when that Kai Sado said... You're worth 100 million. They're not paying to it. We'll see you in training after the transfer window. Piss off, sort of. No nonsense. Cool. Yeah, so that, that would be my ideal. We get someone in who can turn us into a, a, a sustainable club and, and a club with a with a proper structure and a plan. Just just on that plan thing, the thing I liked about Brighton is I read that they they have a they have a, an amount that they value a potential signing up. And they have an amount that they value their players at. 
And if the club selling want more than that amount, they won't pay it. And if they don't receive the amount they value their players at, they don't accept it. Simple, really, but yeah, transparent. Well, if you yeah. as well, if you go to the super, like if you actually go to the supermarket and check out how much things cost occasionally, you go, you come away spending fifty quid less. Like and, and when you're buying footballers, sometimes I think prime example of how not to do it is like Everton. <laughs> So just, just, just on your point, Dan, just sorry, just quickly. So you're talking about Brighton being the blueprint, right? The 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 way forward. They're the ones showing other clubs how to do it. And you said you don't want a multi-multi-billionaire. Tony Bloom's worth I one. Know, Tony Bloom is a self-made man, professional gambler. One and a half billion he's worth. Yeah. Now, well, I get that. It's a shed load of money, but it's not anywhere near some of the other clubs that, I mean. It is, yeah, it's, it's, not Petro, it's not Petro state wealth, is it? I think I think you know like what whoever the owner is they're buying potentially a Premier League club so you'd like to think and the prince is only going to get rid of us if he's going to make some money so I I'd like to think they'll, they'll have some dough it's just to what sort of level and but like like you say whether or not you do it to the level of a Brighton or well Brentford is managed to get a new stadium out of of their model and sustain being in the Premier League and being at the top of the Championship for so many years before they did it and getting those players that you move on. And what's interesting about Brentford is like some of the players that have moved on are like are like English ones as well that they've picked up from the lower divisions. And yeah, so the model doesn't have to be a mirror of that, but something of that ill could be it'd be it'd be wonderful. Just joined up thinking, joined up thinking all the way through the so the recruitment and the coaching style and the playing style all match together rather than square pegs in round holes. And then, and like you know, Brentford in terms of on the pitch haven't had much, and Brighton haven't had much more success than us. They're Brighton have been in the top flight quite a while now, but they've not had like, but neither have had a neither have had a, a European dance. They've not they've not won a cup. We we were close to we finished ninth. I don't, I'd be shocked if Brighton or Brentford have finished above ninth. So like you put like a model with Sheffield United, who knows what can happen? Fingers crossed. Eh? Next, next week, then is it? the next the next month. Let's be honest. I think it, things need to be happening within the next month, and hopefully we'll start to find out who it is before too much longer. But yeah. And, and it'd be nice to hear from them in a in a manner where anyone can go and have that conversation. And we don't have to hear it from somebody who's doing the darndest, but isn't directly like a paid paid member of staff at the club. And or I, I think it I think it'd be nice to be able to soften that sort of chef you know, oh well, we find a way to do this, we're gonna sell, you know. Yeah, we have had that, but maybe from this next era of being a blade, that all that sort of like pessimism, we can we can stamp it out a bit because we have got that joined up thinking and it's transparent. Transparency. That's the theme of all of this. Yeah, and but like if you ask a Watford fan, they won't complain because they have yo-yoed. And yeah, it's a bit fucking shock, but. Like the owners, by their own admission, are a bit nuts. But like with us, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, and there has been all through McCabe's era. We just were you were constantly paranoid your best player was going to be sold, and then now it's like, what is actually happening? Have we got any money? Are we skipped? So like I don't know. That's what we need. Um, we probably ought to put someone in the World Cup squad, boys, and talk about that. Pesky football again for a bit after talking about money and embargoes and deadlines and stuff. So we've got who, who's going to talk about who's going in this evening? I think we've nodded at each other. It's a bit. <laughs> I think in the, the the pre-pod chat, I think we settled on. Um, we've not got a right-sided defender in there, so I think we've settled on. Uh, on Vaz, 
as our as our next World Cup pick. Absolutely. I think the, the debate for having a right-sided defender on there, we, we could talk about probably a dozen or so players who have always been blessed in that position, really, haven't we? But I think universally we all agree that the best right-back, right-wing-back, whatever you want to call him in our era, is probably Babakis, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but you're right, Phil. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you think back to even back to someone like Chris Wilder. You know, Wilder was a, a decent fullback, but then you had him... Obviously, Babakis, Lowton, Norton, Walker, Baldock, Bogle, Gage. There's, there's been some good, really good, really good. Probably, probably the strongest position we've ever had. Probably consistently the strongest position we've had. Um, but yeah, Baz was, Baz was something different, weren't he? Just from the first minute we, first minute we saw him, really. Special, special player. He made that team I do wonder if we hadn't got him you know what would have been like that you know that start of that season in particular and obviously got off to the perfect start against Sunderland but you know would we have been the same I don't think we'd have been the same side without him it was it was a it was a differentiator for us well I think he brought Wayne Quinn on as well because Quinn saw the way that he went forward and and his range of passing and his ability to to hit a ball and I think it kind of gave Quinny the freedom to be able to do the same on the left-hand side, what he was doing on the right. And Quinny, well, he was incredibly complimentary. It seems a long time ago now, but when we spoke to him about about Vass and that sort of, like, sheer just quality, and, like, at United, like, we don't, like, he is, for me, just one of the iconic players. The look, sort of like the curtains, almost a bit like languid in his style as well. Like, oh God, like, but the way he used to hit those three kicks in, and I was, he was like one of the first players that I was drawn to. Like, then I started going regularly, Vass was in the side, and I had him on a, I had him, I think I had him backed around my, uh, my homework planner at school. But it went like around a corner or something then. <laughs> no, that was later. Uh, but like it was uh, just just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Just just honestly, like as well, like you don't if you think about United's history, we don't have many iconic. Obviously, you go back to Sabella and stuff, but you don't tend to have that sort of like continental sort of people say the best players. Sharps, your Jagielkas, Curry, Dean don't have these sort of like the Bockies fits in their sort of like unusual continental fullback who scored three kicks. Like somewhat a bit bit sexy about that and very young Sheffield United actually. I think I think it was I think it's the fact that for a right wing guy, he was versatile enough on both feet. That first goal was left foot. Yeah. Against yeah. Sunderland, you know, he put the cross in for I think was it Fiorto for the first, and then he cuts inside from inside from that right side, and loops one, curls one past the keeper with his left foot. You know, he, he, we were fortunate around that time to see some technically good footballers at United. You know, Gordon Cowan's in the midfield, Fiorto, we still had Dino back up front. You know, we'd got. We'd had some good footballers, but up, up until now, that up until the squad we've got now, that was probably the most technically proficient side we've had. Yeah. When you think about players like Hutchison, like you said, Cowens, Dean, Fjortoff, Babokis. Um even, even the defenders, you know. I was just about to say that Carl Tyler could play, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oldsworth Oldsworth was a decent footballer. Was that the summer Patterson came back and he'd learned to like yeah, Patterson wasn't a good footballer. <laughs> but he had, he, in that side, he looked a, bit, a lot better than he had done the year before. He, he was he did the ratting, didn't he? Yeah. Nicky Marker was in that side as well, wasn't he? Yeah, Nicky Marker was a good, decent footballer, yeah. That's it. That, wore, that, white, that white shirt that was tainted because they'd worn it in the um, playoff, playoff final when Hopkins scored. The textured white shirt is an all-time classic, and I had number two on the back, 
signed by the Bokis because that were back when we didn't actually have names on the shirts. Uh, yeah, brilliant. And especially when you consider we we only we only got him almost by fluke. We'd gone over whoever had gone over to see him, the scout or one of the coaches. We'd gone over to look at Ketz Bayer, haven't we? That's the room, yeah. That's the story. Gone over to look at Ketz Bayer, and while they were there, they went, "Aye, aye, this kid looks a bit of all right." Don't, what do we pay for him? About four hundred and fifty grand or something like that. Weren't huge yeah, amounts. About, about, about a million, about a million quid, I think it was. Well, as much as that, right? Okay, yeah. fair enough. Eight, eight, nine. Well, it's about eight hundred to a million quid, I think. But I, again, what I'd forgot was he'd not. He wasn't with us that long. It was only about like a season games. and a half before he went to Derby, wasn't it? About eighteen months, yeah. yeah. And, we'd, and, 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 he and we got really... fucking Kozluk and Jonathan Hunt as part of I was just about to say that. Oh. <laughs> Rob Kozluk as a replacement. Fuck me. <laughs> I mean, that's like swapping Salma Hayek for fucking Susan Boyle and wee Jimmy Crank and Jeanette Cranky, isn't it? <laughs> See, the thing is, I would have thought if we'd have gone up, as we perhaps should have, that season, he would have slotted into a Premier League side, but it never happened for him at Derby, bizarrely, did it? No. I think they played him as a right back, though, didn't they? Yeah. They played him as a proper right back, and he wasn't a right back. He was, he's, he was like a modern wing back. Like, he'd, he'd, he'd look wonderful in this team. Oh, God, in this side, it'd be amazing. In this side, from, from when Wilder took over and, and went to this 3 5 2, he, w- he would look an absolute world beater in this side. And I think we're slowly forming that we've got we've got the structure of this squad so that we've got that we're not changing from what's successful. And, and like you say, that that was some of the best football we've seen in that formation, and we've we've seen some of our best times in that formation in recent years as well. So it it absolutely makes sense. You've got to put the best right wing back, maybe not the best right back, but certainly the best right wing back I've seen. Yeah. In the Absolutely blessed in that position. That and goalkeeper, I'd say the two where generally we've always been okay since yeah. I've you know. Goalkeeper, a bit dodgy around the league one times, maybe. I'm trying to think back. So it, you, you mentioned Wilder. So I started watching United sort of early to mid eighties, sort of mid eighties, I guess, really, that I can start remembering it. Who would have been the right back then? Because I can remember the left back was Martin Pike. It would have been right back. Would that have been Wilder? It would have been Wilder. Would have been Wilder, yeah. That's late eighties, isn't it? Actually, yeah. I think that, that, that was that, was under, that, that would have been like 87, 88 sort of thing. Yeah, just before Bassett took over. Yeah, because he was coming through there, wasn't he, under McEwen? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, and it, it, it was a, it, it was technically a decent footballer. Just he had absolutely no pace, did he? Ian, I don't know if you I don't if you went to Upton Park when we got battered. Was it five nil? And Stuart Slater absolutely tore Wilder apart. I've very rarely seen a fullback get tormented as badly as he did. Um, if he'd have had some pace about him, he'd have been fine. But yeah, that yeah that would have been that sort of era, Phil. Yeah. Right. You muted him. If you go back. Three years on and it gets no better, does it? <laughs> Three years of doing that. Um, yeah, if you, go, if you go back before our time, Len Badger. Now, we can't put him in here because we never saw him play. But yeah. also, probably one of the greatest footballers the club's ever had. Uh, and a right back. So, it, it's... Even going back, we've, we've never been short of quality for long in that position. And then we had Tony McMahon. And Gus Ullenbeek. <laughs> <laughs> McMahon made me a lot of money on any time booking every single week. <laughs> so that, and I, I always remember just before Christmas, we went to Crawley away for some fucking warped reason. We decided to stop over. I remember now, so the hotel still emails me. It's called Little Fox's Hotel. Not a knocking shop. Um, and McMahon scored. You weren't even thinking that. McMahon scored free kick in um, in both halves. Dreadful game of football. But yeah, we got a crawling. Jesus, night out in crawling. 
Only the same ring to it, does it? Like a night out in Crawley. <laughs> only curry house I've ever been in where alongside your standard lamb, chicken, etc., duck in all the curries, which is the meat doesn't lend itself to braising, in my opinion. Sorry, Ian. And was there a pond around the back of the restaurant? Is that explained? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was in Crawley. I was on the ale, and yeah, but like, like a gallon yeah. of Carlin. But boys, all in all, we're still in the cup, and we're still like second in the league, so we shouldn't be too downhearted. Despite the, um, despite the last couple of days and the sort of like nonsense that's been going on, and I feel like that was a very, very worthy entry in the World Cup squad. So just for those of you who don't know and haven't got it like wrote down because you're a fanatical four blades in the pub listener. So far, we've got number one, Alan Kelly. Two, Vasilios Babakis. Number six, Phil Jagielka. Number 11, Dane Whitehouse. Number 13, Illiman Njai. Gave him 13 because that's the number he had for Senegal in the World Cup. 16, Oliver Norwood. And 17, Morgan Gibbs-White. So in terms of a team that you'd want to play at a tournament in the first group game, I think we're looking very strong. So we'll get back together after the Rotherham match, before the Wrexham match, to decide who's going to complement those players, but also hopefully discuss three points. So it's been a pleasure as always, men. And as always, only one thing to say, isn't there? Up the blades. Up the blades. Up the bloody blades. <laughs>